Hi, I'm Lori Niles at Violinist.com, and Hi. I'm with the fantastic concert violinist, Gil Shaham. Hi, Lori. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Gil Harmonic on Violinist.com, the happiest hour of violin on the internet. You know, you don't have to audition to be part of the Gil Harmonic. In fact, everybody is welcome. And even you can invite your friends. We would love for you to invite your friends. We have a great lineup today. We have the young Grant Jensen will be joining us from um, Santa Monica. We have Faustina Hausner, who will play Bartok for us from um, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And we have Tessa Lark, Tessa Lark in the house. Very, very exciting. And um, yeah, Lori, this is our third one, our third one. How do you feel? I can't believe it. I, I feel very inspired, if you ask me. Um, Jason Anik with his jazz violin, that was just amazing. And then last week we had Elena Uriosti and she was such a fantastic player. I loved hearing her play with her husband. And also she taught us some yoga and I, you know, it inspired me to get my yoga mat out this week. I did, I did the same, I did my finger stretches just like she taught us. And you know, I'm excited for the next ones too. We're gonna have, um, we're gonna have Claire Lee next week and uh, Robert Balanus as well. Some of you may know him from his uh, uh, transcription of Elton John for solo violin and uh, master pedagogue. Kurt Sassmann's house, and the following week we're gonna have um, legendary, legendary gypsy Hungarian jazz classical violinist um, maestro Roby Lakatos, and his entire ensemble will be joining us. Um, very exciting! I I totally can't wait for that. Um, and if you are if you are watching live on the broadcast. Um, and you have some questions for Gil or for me, please type them into the chat for um, YouTube or for Facebook. And I think it's time to get started. So our guests are getting ready. And in just a moment, Gil will introduce our first guest. Our first guest today, is a fascinating young man from Santa Monica. He's 10 years old. He's a student of Morgan Gerstmar. He plays in the Santa Monica Elemental Strings Orchestra. He's a fan of JPL and a fan of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. He will play the Martini Gavotte. Grant, take it away.
Thank you. No, thank you, Grant. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that piece is a long one and it's pretty hard to memorize because it it does the same thing a whole bunch of different times, but then it also um, does different things too. So um, Grant, you did a really good job of memorizing a rather tricky piece to memorize. Thank you. So, so well done, Grant. You, I also noticed that you fit the piano and, uh, and I know that you're a music lover. We had a little bit of a talk before and um, I heard that you bumped into Laurie and the Los Angeles Philharmonic. I heard nobody was hurt. Nobody was hurt. Mm -hmm. but, uh, you bumped into Laurie. And um, can you tell us what do you love at the Philharmonic? Why do you go to the LA Phil? I love that I get to hear the pieces that they play, especially the pieces that they play live, because it's really inspiring for me. Because it's like one day, if I practice enough, I could become them. And I just love hearing the music. They are so special. I feel the same. I feel well, the same. there's nothing better than playing in the orchestra. I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about playing violin is the chance to play in orchestra. And, and you play in an orchestra right now, right? Yeah. The um, Santa Monica Elemental Strings. It's like for elementary school kids that don't play or do play in school. And yeah. you play. It's, there's a lot of things, but I'm in the strings one. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's great that you have the chance to do that. And you know what you just played here is a gavotte. What what do you know about a gavotte? I know that it's a dance. Uh -huh. I know that it's slightly faster than a minuet, but not that much faster. Yeah. Very good. That's really the only thing that I know about a gavotte. Well, I have some ideas for you about how you might be able to make it feel kind of even more a little dancey. So are you up for some experimentation here? Yeah. Okay, here's, here's the thing that I think might be kind of fun. If you can lean a little bit on um, the D there. And so there's a trick though for doing that. And we can practice it on the open strings, but when you lean on it, you don't wanna make an accent and make it sound like. So what you do is like you use this much bow for the first note and then like, this much for the next one. So you can practice it on an open string, just going, and you just kind of swallow that last note. Why don't you try it? So it's, you just, so you're gonna go up, and then, and then just use barely any on the E. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, try it again. Right, so up, up, down, and then you just do it with the fingers. Yes, yeah. I like it. It sounds more dancey already. Try it again. Exactly. 
I love that. I love that. You know, now I have a feeling Lori um, may have taught this piece before. Um, um, now, Grant, now you know how to play the, the characteristic rhythm of any gavotte. You know, so many gavottes have that rhythm. And not only that, you'll be able to recognize gavottes when you hear them. That's a very characteristic thing, you know. There, that's a gavotte or you know or a, you know or um you know I even think you know um, you know that is a very characteristic rhythm. Sometimes they're a little more complicated. So now you will hear gavots, you will say, that's a gavot. Now you'll play a gavot and you'll say, I know how to play it. I know how to lean on that beat. Yeah, I never really noticed that pattern before. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Sure, it's a... <laughs> That's um that's gavotte. You know, minuets are in triple time. They're in three. You can count one, two, three. With yeah. with gavottes, you count two. One, two, two, one, two. I guess people call it common time. I uh, wish I knew how to dance a gavotte. Then we could all like learn to dance, but but we're not gonna actually do that. I think <laughs> am I right? Maybe your mom knows um <laughs> she knows historical dance, right? Yeah, she's a dance professor. <laughs> Well, that's wonderful. Maybe another time we'll we'll ask her about about that. You know, I want to very quickly um, talk to you about something else because we spoke before, and I feel like your mind. You're a very analytical guy, and I yeah. feel like uh, you like looking under the hood and um, you know figuring out how things work. And so, what I wanted to do was maybe really break down these first eight bars of the Martini Gavotte. Um, and you know, the reason I the reason I thought we should talk about it is because this is a very common musical formulation. These eight bars, people call it a question and answer phrase. I don't know if you've heard that before. You know, the idea is. Question mark. Period, you know. So the question yeah. and then the answer. I guess uh, you know if you want to be really fancy, if you you can call it the antecedent consequent phrase. You know, have you met my antecedent, Laurie? Do you, uh, um, you know, if you go to like a cocktail party, you can talk about well the antecedent consequent phrase, and then somebody might look at you and say, "Aren't you a little bit young to um, be a music theoretician?" You know. Or, <laughs> Or at a cocktail party. Yeah, at a cocktail party. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that might be interesting. The reason it's interesting is because it changes how you feel about this music, right? Um, right. Well, and, yes, well, Laurie. 
something I noticed about an answer, like a question and an answer, is that there's always a little bit of the question in the answer, right? Yes. So, yeah. I, mean, I mean, in words, right? If I were to say to you, if I were to say to you, Grant, um, um, the Dodgers look really good this year. Do you think they'll make it all the way? Right? And then your answer might be, the Dodgers look good this year. Um, they'll go very far, but they'll never get past the Yankees. Right? So one is a question, yeah. and the other one is that. But but some of the question is contained in the answer, right? Um, and so the, what, what I was thinking before was that maybe this has to do with how it feels. And that has to do with the harmony. You know, you start out in G major. That's the chord. And then you move away from it. You move to the chord of D. But the second time around, you start in G. And you end up right back in G. When I was little, people always said, it's like you're at home, you go on a trip. And that's the question part. But the answer is, you're home, you go on a trip, and then you come back home. So it's a different kind of feeling. And I guess, you know, maybe, maybe to close this out, do you mind trying to play that first phrase again? Oh, I have an idea. I have an idea. Like, one of you could play the question, and one of you could play the answer. I got question. Okay. Wait, how come he gets the question? Because he does. He's our guest. Wait, come but on. I thought, don't be a good sport. <laughs> All right, and let's do the Gavot leaning dance move. your own question <laughs> in the middle i was like oh no this isn't the end and then it was though no you were right you were right you did very well my friend yes is there something you would like to talk about with us mm, well i did want to ask you a question okay so, go for it how did it feel the first time you were on a stage and have you ever felt that again? Oh, that's a good question. Um, can, may I ask, how did you feel? Have you been on a stage before? And, yeah. Uh, and how did you feel? Was it kind of butterflies in the stomach kind of thing? It was scared, but I know I can't be scared because that will mess me up. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, I think it's so interesting. People talk about stage fright, you know? And at yeah. this point, I've been on stage and pretty much everything wrong that you can imagine, uh, I've done, you know? And, you know, I've sort of lived to tell about it, but I still get nervous when I go up on stage. I think it's a very natural human reaction. And so I don't really know what to say. I have, I've spoken to like surgeons. You know, and I ask them, you know, do you get nervous when you, you have somebody on the operating table? And, you know, many of them say no. 
many of them say they don't get nervous, but they do get nervous when there's an audience. So I think there's something about humans that once we're being watched, we get nervous because, you know, we we want to be judged a certain way. We want to be somehow there's it's a very natural feeling. And I think that's important to know. It's a very natural feeling. And uh, in a way, maybe you can use that feeling to your advantage. You know, that's part of the excitement. Some people love that feeling. I don't know. What do you say, Laurie? I think you said it very well. And um, this has been so fun. Grant, it's been so fun to to work with you. And I can't wait to see you when everything starts up again and we, we can all go to the L.A. Phil and maybe we'll go see uh, Gil. Maybe yeah. he'll come back and play the barber like he was that. going to. Come back. I was going to see that. Uh, thank you. So good to meet you. Yeah, I hope we meet in person soon. Yeah. Thank you. Our next guest is Faustina Hausner, and she just finished her freshman year at Rice University's Shepherd School of Music, studying with Kathleen Winkler. Um, she also studied before that with Ellen D. Pasquale. Uh, she is coming to us from, um, from New Jersey and um, she's going to play for us selections from Bela Bartok's Romanian Folk Dances.
Well done. Yes. Faustina Hausner. I love that. I love that. Um, I really enjoy your playing, Faustina. You're such a thoughtful player. You have a beautiful tone. Um, you play so cleanly. And I, I got a kind of a weird, funny story to tell, just that when I heard you were going to play these pieces, I remembered being like an eight-year-old kid in Jerusalem, eight or nine years old, and a lot of people were playing the Romanian dances. I think pianists. Pianists were playing these Romanian oh, yeah. dances. And I just heard this word over and over again, you know, jokubata. You know, I, some, somehow this <laughs> word was in my head. I was like, jokubata. You know, and like, I, I had no idea what it meant. But um, just now when I saw you were going to play that, I was thinking, jokubata. <laughs> and uh, I guess, um, do you mind telling us what that means? Well, that's the, yeah, the first dance, right? Right. right. Yeah, the first dance. It translates to dance with sticks. And Bartok actually first heard this dance heard, uh, played by two gypsy violinists. And it's a very energetic and merry song where the dancers are dancing in a circle and they have walking sticks and they exchange sticks and they tap sticks on downbeats. And it's, it's a really energetic dance. I wish I could see that. I, you know, I wish I could yeah. see you doing that while you're playing. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us about like, so, you know, there's several dances here. Can you tell us a little more about like what the dances are? Yeah, the second movement is because it's a waistband dance and it's more of a spinning dance. And the dance itself uses sashes and waistbands as a visual prop. And it has a very mischievous and playful character. And the fourth movement is a hornpipe dance. And it has a lot of Arabic influence because of the augmented second intervals. Mm. And I've also heard this as a gypsy violent piece. And the fifth movement is the Romanian polka, or is also known as a children's dance, which goes directly into last movement, which is the quick dance, which is performed by couples. And it's often danced as a recording dance, and it consists of fat, uh, fast, tiny, uh, tiny steps. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so have you, um, like when you were studying this, did you listen to various recordings? I know that, that Gil made a recording of this um, oh. back like yeah. 20 years ago, um, but it was very like alternative, right? It was. You know what? I It's very nice memory. I was with Dave Grusin and Lee Rittenauer, and it was, I think it was Dave Grusin's idea. He just loves this piece, you know, and mm. he made this arrangement and I got to meet two Fascinating, I mean, incredible masters of music. And uh, yeah, I think they called the album was called Two Worlds or, uh, you know, Clash of Two Worlds. I think, it, no, I think it was called Two Worlds. And um, yeah, it was really a very nice memory for me. Kind of yeah. jazzy, yeah, crossover. Yeah. Alstina, tell us like what ones that you listen to and that kind of thing. I've actually listened to a recording by Tessa Lark who will also be on this computer today. Yes. Um, right. We're going to see her later. Everybody stay tuned for Tessa Lark. Right now we're talking to Faustina Hauser about the Bartok Romanian dances. Yeah, and I really love that recording. Yeah, I loved her character, the carefree gypsy spirit she really brought to the table, um, personality, the style. I just loved that performance. Yeah. I constantly referred to it, and it was very inspiring to me when I'm studying this piece. Yeah. Yeah. Am I wrong? Wasn't this whole thing 
started with re a recording device? Well, I think that Bartok and Kodai, like they went across, um, they went across Romania uh, making recordings. They made something like a thousand recordings, and I'm not sure what they used because it was something like 1915 or something. And and they used, you know, he used these folk dances that he recorded for for many things. Among among them, this. So that's pretty cool. You know, I remember, I remember hearing a Hungarian um, gypsy band perform, and and they were playing a. They played a thing, just one uh, sort of very, you know, there, there's such a rich history. If this is the kind of stuff that's passed down from parents to their babies, and then the babies grow up and pass it down to their own. But, but they they were playing. You know, it was really like, I was amazed because it was note for note, the second Rhapsody of, of Bart. Wow but actually played much faster than I, I was used to hearing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, and it's got that, those compressed, like, ba -da -da, ba -da -da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can yeah. you talk about that a little bit, Gil? Sure, sure, sure. Fastina, I guess I was wondering, um, Leon Fleischer, who is one of the great pianists, he, he has these uh, um, aphorisms, very short, concise statements about music that he likes to say. So he says things like, good rhythm is playing everything late, but on time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and he'll say things like, short notes need to always be shorter, and long notes need to always be longer. And, and I guess, you know, even Shekai, and, and I never know how to say his name, but the violinist who made these arrangements, I don't know if you ever heard his recording of the second concerto of Bartok. He does compress those sixteenths quite a lot. You know, he um, you know, and so I guess I was wondering if just for fun, would you consider trying that first dance and? Um, you know, really compress all that stuff. Something like that. Yeah, I can try it. Go for it, go for it. You know, I felt, I loved that the short notes were that short. I think they could be even shorter, but that was great. Now can you do it just one more time and make sure the long notes are super long. All right, right. You go. Sounds really Hungarian. Can I talk a little bit about my favorite part of this piece? Um, for me, it's it's the last movement, and to me, the last movement is like it's so. It just you have to do it with such abandon, you know. It's it it, it all comes down to it has to be like go as fast as you can, 
and make as much noise as you possibly can. Yes. And you know, it, it makes me think of um, like like my kids, my little kids when when they were little. We used to do this thing where we would run down a grassy hill, and I would say, just like let gravity take you, you know, and and you know, you just go as fast as you can, and then your legs can barely keep up with you, you know, and and then if you fall down, you're laughing when you fall down. But but so like. I was thinking you have your act together so well with this last piece. I wondered like if you could try it like twice as fast. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of kidding there, but like, like just like as fast as you possibly can and then make a lot of just, you know, like sort of let go and like, like you're running down the hill kind of thing. I could try it. It's a fun experiment. <laughs> I really want to use the word ferbunkos. Can I say ferbunkos? Okay, he wants to use this word. I really want to use the word. Um, do you know the word ferbunkos? No, I it's, don't. It's kind of fun to say, but I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. But I guess it's Hungarian, and ferbunkos comes from the German verbung. And and what what people often talk about with Bartok is the ferbunkos style, which is a recruiting dance. And what they say is a lot of this stuff. Um, even the whole Chardas tradition comes from these recruiting dances where the military, if you can imagine very war-torn part of Middle Europe, the military would come marching to town with these, and they always start slow, lasso and frizz, slow and then fast. They always start with the um, minor scale melody, very much like here. And, um, and uh, you know, it would get faster and faster and they, they'd whip themselves into a frenzy and then by the time they finished, they will have taken all the young men of the village with them and off they go to war, you know, or off they go to the next town to repeat, you know, the ferbunkos to do, you know, the slow dance. And then, and, and I guess all these, all these things, you know, are called ferbunkos, the, um, the contrast, the first movement, the violin concerto. That's it. Now I use the word ferbunkos. Now. <laughs> Do you mind finishing the movement where we, where I rudely interrupted you? Oh, finishing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. send it. <laughs> much for joining us today Faustina. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. It's fun we to hear. love having you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This, this was such a great experience and I it's a truly an honor. Yeah. For us, for us. Thank you. I'm so happy to welcome our next guest Tessa Lark. 
I first met Tessa Lark when she was playing um, in the Indianapolis competition back in 2014, and most recently when she was playing as a soloist with the Pasadena Symphony here in California. Um, right now, she's going to be coming uh, at us from New York City. Um, she was recently nominated for a Grammy for her performance of the Sky Concerto by Michael Torkey. It's sort of a, a bluegrass violin concerto written especially for her. And she's also been posting Fritz on Friday, works by Fritz Chrysler, and she's going to be creating a recording called Stradgrass. And we're gonna have to ask her about that. So right now, she's going to play uh, Isai's Fourth Sonata with a little bit of improv to lead us into it. Tessa, take it away. Thank you. 
Tessa Lark, everybody. We are so lucky. Thank you for that performance. Man, that was great. I mean, you know what it, it reminds so much. It reminds me of like what I love about this instrument, you know? I like it's been so many years of playing, and then I've listened to something like you playing this, and I'm just like, wow. I mean, it just that piece has so much range, and then and then you just really captured it beautifully. Oh, I appreciate that so much. Thank you. That's why I love Isai, though. Exactly what you're saying is he is his music is so violinistic. As difficult as it is, once you figure it out, it just feels so good, right? To to play those things and and you get to sing too at the same time. It's just everything. I gotta ask because um, while you were playing, I was thinking that Isai um, is kind of uh, you know loosely based on music by another great master, Fritz Chrysler. And uh, you added your own improvisation before. Am I correct in saying your improvisation was loosely based on the works of Isai? Yes, very much. So all I did was I was basically inspired by that theme from the Sarabon, the second movement, the, you know, this motif, uh, which clearly from this sonata is very versatile and flexible because he just uses it all over the darn place, especially in that last movement. So I was inspired by the Sarabon, but because today I wanted to play the last movement, um, I just decided to improvise a little bit with the opening material. So I just kind of put it all together. But Isai seems to be this kind of guy, you know, he and supposedly he wrote all of these six sonatas, you know, overnight. And so it seems that he was just kind of going with his imagination. So I just took the liberty. I felt like it might be appropriate to um, improvise on it a little. I love that. I love that. Um, I'm, I'm just totally astonished by your ability to improvise. I know that when you were playing with the Pasadena Symphony, um, so she finishes playing, she does this in like a, an encore and starts singing, you know? And then as she's exiting the stage, she turns around and laughs and sort of says to the orchestra, cause I was back there in the second violin, she goes, I didn't know I was gonna sing. And I thought, okay, um, I would definitely have to know I was gonna sing. <laughs> How do you do this, Tessa? Well, we should, well mention that, we should mention that Laurie is a member of the Pasadena Symphony. Well, right? yeah, I know. So you guys were on, yeah, sharing anyway. the stage. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. 
yeah, such a small, because meeting you, you know, it's basically five years before that, right? And then seeing you in the orchestra and getting to play together is so fun. Um, but for me, you know, when you're as disorganized and um, <laughs> as I am, you know, and you have as many ideas as I do, yeah, you feeling me, Gil? Just, I, I, you have to learn how to improvise. There's just no other, like, I'm not going to get anything done unless I know how to just fly by the seat of my pants. So it was out of sheer desperation that I figured out how to improvise and just wing it. <laughs> well, I know we, we don't have much time, sadly, um, but um, I did want to ask you about your life as a double agent, you know, as a spy as a classical violinist spy in the world of bluegrass, and at the same time as an infiltrator of bluegrass into the world of classified classical, mu classical music. But you do wear those two hats. And yeah, tell us yeah. about it. Yeah, well, I was, um, I was born and raised in Kentucky. Uh, my dad actually plays banjo, not by profession, but he's real good. And so there's a lot of bluegrass on my front porch, my Kentucky home. I played mandolin before I played the violin. So that was really part of my upbringing. And then my formal training was uh, with Suzuki, with the Suzuki method. And my teacher, Catherine McGlasson, um, supplemented my Suzuki training with fiddle books and fiddle tunes. So it was always put together for me. And I decided early on in my training that this was something that I always wanted to hold on to because it was something very dear to me, this bluegrass and improvised American music. So it was just a very natural succession for me. I went to um, New England Conservatory, but I they have these great contemporary improvisation classes for non-majors. And I was always sort of sticking my toes in all these um, different pools of music. That, that sounds a little gross, but it was awesome, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so I, I, you know, was primarily trained in classical music, but there's just something so magical about folk music. And I had a hunch that there was a lot of folk inspiration in the music I was playing too. So I started uh, going undercover and classical classified, like you said, Gil, <laughs> and just sort of <laughs> went into the bluegrass world sometimes in the classical world. And slowly I've been trying to figure out a way to make the big reveal and, and bring them both together. So that's been my mission lately. So that brings me to a big question, which is, what is Stradgrass? What is this? I do believe I do believe they're they're legalizing it in the state of New York now. Is that oh, thank goodness? Gil, am I right about that? Soon yeah, it will be I gave you a little yeah secret stash of mine, Gil, earlier on, but now it is legalized, and the symptoms include toe tapping and yodeling like vocals. <laughs> awesome. And plaid shirts. And plaid shirts, indeed, indeed. But Stradgrass, you know, I am. Um, actually from the Indianapolis competition where we met. I surprised, I got the silver medal. Usually that Strad, the ex-Gingold Strad they have is um, delegated to the first prize winner, but I got to use it for four years and abuse it with bluegrass. And so when I um, started playing bluegrass on the Strad, my now fiance at the time was my um, boyfriend. We were jamming together and he's like, oh, Strad and bluegrass, Stradgrass. So it was just kind of off the cuff but I ran with it and it's become a way of life for me, just exploring American folk styles from a classical lens. 
I before, have a feeling. Before we go, I want to ask you about Sky because I really dig that and I heard that recording and I encourage everybody out there to have a listen. Um, I thought it was fascinating and beautifully done and yeah. Thank you so much. I hope you play it sometime. You'd play it I so would love that. Yeah. Gorgeously. Oh my gosh. And Torky would be thrilled. Um, I commissioned Michael for a sonata for a recital. And through that collaboration, um, he asked if I would play a concerto where he to write one and could it be bluegrass inspired? He hadn't known anything about bluegrass at that time and just immersed himself for a year. And then this concerto came to be, and it's so fun. My, um, my management, Marianne Cialino and Michael's publicists, they did so much to make a consortium of orchestras that came together to make the commission possible. So I think I've played it with 11 or 12 orchestras wow. so far. So it's been a lot of fun. Wow. I, you know, I have a feeling, Tessa, that your work is going to actually make this stradgrass thing come true, that, that we might see, you know, some really serious, very nice cross-pollination of a wonderful form of American music with classical music. And thank you so much for joining us today and playing for us. This has been just a total treat. Oh, thank you so much. This is such a beautiful hour and it's just making me so, I can't like, my smile is plastered on my face. It just brings um, so much joy. I'm so, so thank happy to you. meet you. Yeah. It's great to meet you too. Yeah, from like what? We're just like 90 blocks away. <laughs> I know, we're actually very close, right? We're yeah. both New Yorkers. But here we are connecting through StreamYard. Who yes. knew? Who knew when I listened to your recordings growing up, like age 12, that I'd meet you here oh. on the screen? Thank you. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a joy. What a joy to be with Tessa, Tessa Lark. And um, no kidding. Gil, do you maybe, think? Do you maybe think we'll bump into each other on Broadway? You know, someplace uh, here in Gotham City. Maybe we will meet each other in person. I'd heard so much about Tessa before. Do you think she would teach us a fiddle tune if we asked her to? I mean, I wouldn't that be cool? I would be there in a second. I'd sign up for a four semester course if I could. Okay, well, I'm going to see if she'll do that. And and if we make it happen, we will post a video about that tomorrow. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I guess, um, Laurie, I feel like I saw a question come by. Yes, I think they wanted to ask you what that A word was that Grant is supposed to say at cocktail yeah, parties. The cocktail and So antecedent consequent phrases. I, I'm sure, you know, if you put it into Google, you'll come up with many articles about this. It's a, it's a very basic musical structure and something very primal you know you'll find it in all genres of music and and maybe has something really basic to do with with human psychology you know antecedent consequent okay and then i think we had another question and that question was from susan claffy from grand junction Colorado. Okay. And so here was her question. Um, she said, if most concerts and symphony seasons are canceled for the fall season, then how do you stay motivated to practice for nothing? <laughs> um, is it because that's what you've been doing your whole life? Or are you hopeful that things are going to open in the spring of 2021? Because that's a long time away. So how do you stay motivated, basically? It's such a good question, you know, and, and 
it, it's it's tough to um tough to answer you know i i feel like yes there are goals it's always good to have goals right like if you say in one month you know i want to lose that much weight you know but but i don't think of practicing as uh, as dieting you know um in fact maybe maybe it was about 15 years ago i remember being in a hotel room in israel and i was jet lagged and i had somehow a lot of time and i just took out the violin and practice for the sake of practicing you know i i imagine it's kind of like you know do the pro basketballers only practice when you know first for to play on, on the season or or do they just love to play basketball i don't know so, so, something like that i don't really have a well-formed answer but uh, something along those lines what do you what would you say laurie well, it's something that we can actually do during this time. We're actually very lucky that we can get out our violins and play and, um, you know, be close to Bach and just, you know, anything that brings us kind of closer to humanity right now. I think in my, it's a in, my idea. House, in my house, everybody's practicing more somehow these days. So yeah. I'm not quite sure, not quite sure, you know, what drives it. But, and um, you can practice whatever you want to. You don't just have to practice. You don't have to scrub away at the little passage that you need for the orchestra concert or, or right. the next thing. You can actually take a little time and think so. Right. It's have to and want to, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's been a wonderful episode of Gil Harmonic once again. And we're going to have to go because, Gil, you've got something going on. I was just going to say, before we wrap it up, I want to mention that uh, I guess beginning in a couple of minutes, um, Adele Anthony, my wife and I will be part of a um, virtual gala for a, a group that um, that means a great deal to me, the Israel Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, I believe we have links below and links on violinist.com. Yes. And yeah. yet, please thank you for supporting the Israel Philharmonic. I can't wait to the next one, Lori. Yeah, I can't either. And we've got some wonderful guests. First of all, we've got Kurt Sassman's house, the fantastic violin master teacher. Um, we have Roberts Balanes, and you guys have probably seen his Elton John recording, which is so cool. So he's gonna be there. And then we have a student named Claire Lee. Um, so please don't miss us. And I'll tell you how not to miss us. Sign up for, um, for subscribe to violinist.com's YouTube channel and please like our Facebook pages on violinist.com and Gil Shaham. And we will see you next week for Gil Harmonic on violinist.com. Bye everybody. Thank Bye. you for the comments. Thank you, Tessa. Thank you all our guests. <laughs>